Welcome to MicroCollege, a podcast exploring innovative, place-based, and humanly scaled responses to the crises in higher education, meaning, and discourse in our time. Everyone knows that colleges and universities are at a breaking point, but what can be done? I'm Jacob Hunt, the director of Thoreau College, a micro-college in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Join us each week as we tackle this question head-on. Welcome to MicroCollege. This week, we are honored to have as our guest Willie E. Jones III, who is an actor, director, producer, and playwright, who is the founding actor and manager of the Jones Classical Theater Company of Chicago, Illinois. He is the artistic director of the Juneteenth Theater Justice Project, a co-founder of the Minnesota Black Theater Circle, was the executive producer of the Blackness Is Theater Arts Festival, and also serves on the board of Yellow Tree Theater in Osseo, Minnesota. Willie is a graduate of the Guthrie Theater BFA Actor Training Program at the University of Minnesota and is here in Viroqua this week uh, as the director of As You Like It at the first ever Viroqua Shakespeare Festival, which he is co-producing in collaboration with Thoreau College. Welcome, Willie. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, that, that sounded really, really much more impressive than it is, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're very excited to have you here. And, and I know that there's a lot of excitement around town about this, this event, mm. and I just thank you for bringing Shakespeare in this way to our little town and to Thoreau College. So thank you. Um, here on MicroCollege, we like to ground everything that we do in storytelling, in, in biography. And so um, we like to ask our guests to start off by saying, just reflecting back on where you were uh, out of high school um, and uh, you know, what were you doing? What, was, what were the really salient, uh, important experiences of that period that, that led you to what you're doing today? Well, I, I was always on a fast track to this life from when I first discovered I wanted to act. Uh, it was really more of an addiction, really. Um, what's funny is I was intending to do film and TV. I hated theater. <laughs> um, as an underclassman in high school, I thought it was pretentious. I thought it was inaccessible. I thought film was far superior, you know, 14 years old. And then uh, you sort of, you know, perform in front of a live audience and uh, night after night, and you go, huh, there's something alive about this that you don't get in film and TV. You know, the, the laughter, the responses. So from when I was 15, 16, I knew this is what I wanted to do. The struggle was where was I going to do it, mm -hmm. right? I knew I wanted to go to college for it. I wanted a degree in it. I wanted to study it. The problem is that when you go to a small public school, not a big art school, you don't hear about stuff like unifieds, you know, where everyone convenes in Chicago and auditions for colleges. You don't, you don't know about big programs. So I only auditioned for three places. And it came down between two. And you know, it was a real struggle because one was a better, in my opinion at the time, a better program that offered no money. Mm -hmm. And the other one was a program that offered a lot of money. And so the debate was a matter of, you know, do I want to take on that many student loans? And eventually the answer was no. So I find myself in Minnesota. Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. oh, where did you grow up? Orlando, Florida. Oh, so <laughs> that's a culture shock for certain. I, I visited New York in the winter and uh, the Northeast, but there was nothing to prepare me for <laughs> what I was told was the worst winter in 25 years, my freshman year. Uh, but you know, freshman year, I fell deeper in love with it. 
because you're in it. You know, you're surrounded by it constantly, and you're surrounded by people who also want to do it, and that makes a difference in Meaning a person's the life. Meaning theater. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. You know, in a, high, in a public high school, um, you know, some kids are doing theater just because they have nowhere else to go or their friends are doing it. So everyone's not on the same level of passion. Yeah. Everyone's not on the same level of, of intensity. In college, that is the case. Even if they're not going to do it after, they're still going to do it. And, and this is a special program. I and mean, people who have listened to the podcast may have heard Liam McGilligan, who's the producer of the show, who's also a graduate of this program, mm -hmm. describe it. In, in a way, it's, it's, it's part of the University of Minnesota. You know, this is a mm -hmm. Big Ten, huge school. But it is, in a sense, a micro-college within that, that campus. Mm -hmm. Just for people who maybe hadn't heard Liam's description, can you describe the, the Guthrie Performing Arts Program? It, yes. So it is a very intensive four-year conservatory-style program with a liberal arts component which means essentially you're in acting class 11 to 10, including rehearsal, Monday through Saturday, and you better find a way to fit your gen eds in before 11. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's super intense, and it's you and the same 18, 20 people every class, every show. You often stay together in the same dorms, and you have all the classes in the same building. It really, you don't meet anybody else. You don't really feel, for most of us, you don't feel like you're a part of the college because... 12 hours out of the day, you're in the theater. So yeah. it's very intensive and small, and a few people find external friends here and there, but generally, <laughs> generally you don't. Generally you don't. So that's, yeah, it's tight-knit, very, very tight-knit. So you felt like this this was a, this was a good preparation for heading out into the into the theater world mm -hmm. afterwards it's what i wanted yeah right like i wanted something really intense i wanted something that was going to make me a, a good actor you know so i didn't have to spend more money on grad school so i loved the intensity i loved not having a life outside of it um it's not for everyone mm -hmm. if you are a free spirit if you are hoping to go to a bfa where you can also you know maybe join a sorority or see some you can do it, but man, are you going to be exhausted, you know? <laughs> so it worked for me, but it's not for everyone, certainly. So, Willie, you, you talked a little bit about, well, the money aspect of, of, of your decision for mm -hmm. which program. When I was talking about the BFA program and when I was auditioning, so I was a year above Willie, so I came into the program one year before mm -hmm. Willie. One of the, you know, the taglines that, that drew me was them talking about the Guthrie Theater Actor Training Program seeks to cultivate the actor, artist, scholar, and citizen. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they, that language rings a bell with you, but, mm -hmm. you know, for me, that was, that was a, ca a calling card, both the conservatory training, the Guthrie Theater connection, but the liberal arts component. I I'm wondering what, but you talked a little bit about mm -hmm. the financial decision, but what about the curriculum and, and uh, sure. what else brought what you else to the program? I love classical theater. I love it. Um, and I didn't know I loved it until I got there. You know, the the thing about that program, the way at least, you know, it's, it's changing as things are, but it used to be very, very classical. Um, your Joe Price, who ran the program at the time, would say, if you can master the masters, you can master anyone. You know, if you can master the, the guy who's being performed 2,000 years still, <laughs> you know, we're talking, you know, Agamemnon, the Oresteia, Greek tragedies. Mm -hmm. If you can do that well, you can do the new play five years ago. That's what drew me personally. The liberal arts component also drew me until I realized I had no time to minor, no time to double major. And at first I was saddened by it, but after, after the first two months, I was like, thank God <laughs> someone told us not to do this because there's no time. 
But um, for a lot of people, they love the liberal arts component mm -hmm. because the professors want to impact you. You know, a lot of acting programs try to make you into a mold of what an actor should be. Um, I believe our program is really good at taking who you are and, and expanding upon that, not asking you to change. And so that tagline is true. They build scholars, they build, like a lot of people graduate, I find our program, they don't even go into acting. Some, they become playwrights, they become voice coaches, they become teaching artists. And I think that's a sign of how our program cultivates you as a person. No one feels like they have to be an actor, I don't think. Yeah, yeah so I think when you look at um, your, your projects, things you've worked on, mm -hmm. including Coming here to Broco with, mm -hmm. with as you like it, um, but also the you know some of the some of the things you talk about on your website, um, which people can find in the show notes. Um, you say you know, here's here's one of the things you write on the website. It is important to us that audiences of all backgrounds and ideas know that they are welcomed at the Jones Theater, where diverse thoughts and ideas are presented, critiqued, and discussed in the highest quality, in the name of truth. We have no interest in giving comfort. Our primary focus and primary interest is to create a theatrical environment in which all people can gather and laugh, talk, debate, cry, and breathe together. So your, your aims are beyond entertaining people, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about like what, you know, in the broadest sense, why is theater important in, in culture, in, in our society today? It's like the last place where you have human interaction anymore. You know what I mean? No one's going to the movie theaters. You know, like it got to the yeah. point where movies have to state we're also releasing this in theaters too. Right. <laughs> and when you're in the movie theater, what do you see people doing? They're texting. They're on their phone. They're at a concert. What are they doing? They're, you know, blogging it or putting it on Instagram or you know, the theater is a place where you go, and it doesn't matter what political party you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. You sit, and you take in a story together. And you interpret it differently, but there are no phones. You laugh together. You don't even, you don't care about, you know, pardon me, but you don't care about, you know, who are you voting for? You know, you, you, don't, you don't care about uh, what did you do 30 years ago? All you care about is that I'm here with 100 other people watching, I don't know, Hamlet bear his soul, and we can all relate to that in some way. That's why it's necessary. We have to keep the theater alive or else we're <laughs> going to lose the human condition. Aren't we? Or that, that, <laughs> I think so. That's pretty important. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, really important. The connectivity. But what's striking about that is, you know, I think a lot of people might think that that movies mm -hmm. killed off the theater a hundred years ago. <laughs> well, you know, people have been saying, you know, at first radio was going to kill the theater, and then TV was going to kill the theater, and then movies are going. The only people that can kill theater is people. You know, if they'd stop deciding it's important, if they stop deciding to go, um, that's what's going to kill the theater is if people don't find interest in it or if they only find interest in commercial theater, you know, adaptations, movie adaptations made into musicals and, and vice versa. You know, I, I don't think it will survive very long if, if that's our daily diet of theater. Um, but if we can continue to do classics, plays with words and no music <laughs> and no dancing, just watching human beings be human, live in front of you. You know, we do it all the time on TV. I, I, I just theorize, I wonder if there's something about this generation that takes greater comfort in connecting through a screen, even if it comes to your entertainment than it does live. And I know people will say, oh, concerts. Well, yeah, because they want you to have your phones out. You know, they, they're okay right. with that. We're talking about a place where you, you don't worry about it for a couple hours, you know? And that's anxiety-inducing for a lot of people. But yeah. I think we have to do it. I think we have to keep 
gathering live, you know, mm-hmm. just for the sake of knowing there are other people out there. I don't know. Uh, COVID was so isolating, so isolating. And I guess people enjoy that. Like, no one wants to go work in an office anymore. Nobody, everybody wants to work from home, you know, and it, it concerns turned, me it a little. It turned going to a theater into something that was sort of scary and dangerous, yeah. too. And that, I yes. think that some of that still hangs over. It does. It, well, it doesn't help, right, that most theater audiences are over 60. Yeah. So they're the most at risk. And yet their dollars have been supporting the American theater for like 50 years. So what you're doing here in Baroque this week is pretty different from all of that. Um, maybe yes. so you're bringing, um, you know, first of all, you're doing Shakespeare, a real classic kind of theater, the classic <laughs> of the classics. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you're, you're doing it with a group of a mixed group of people who are who are professionals, people who've done mm-hmm. this on, on a higher level and mm-hmm. local local actors who have yes. been recruited into it. You're doing it outside. You're doing it for free. Yep. Um, just yeah, maybe describe a little bit about about the vision for this this uh, theater festival, the Shakespeare Festival you're doing here. Certainly. So this was inspired. This model was inspired by what the Royal Shakespeare Company did last summer. This is I, this is not my idea. I stole this from the artistic director at the time. <laughs> he did this project. They were doing the history plays Shakespeare, and he did that. He used members from the Royal Shakespeare Company, and he cast locals, and. They asked him, why did you do it? He said, because I think people will have a greater appreciation for Shakespeare if they're speaking the language as opposed to having it spoken at them or lectured at them. And I was like, you know, that's kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's that's really brilliant. Like, you ne- you don't know how great Shakespeare is until you're doing it, you know, until you're feeling it or you're watching it. And so I was like, this model is great. Like, professionals intermingling with, you know, community members of that community it also shows a sense of care for that community, doesn't it? That we're not above it all, or, or as it were. And what, you, what I've found is that, you know, community members are more talented than anyone can ever expect. You know, people have backgrounds, people have lives you have know nothing about, you know? So why presume they can't do it as opposed to saying, let's see if we can, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the the context here it's it's out of doors. Mm-hmm. It's you know, I think there's an attempt here to create a festival atmosphere around yes. it. There's going to be apple cider making things like this. <laughs> yes. So I think that that's different from from going to you know a a, a a you know a professional theater in a city. You know that sort of yes. what's what's about that environment? What's what's benefit? Well, you how, know what they add, added by that. The name festival should be a festival. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of these Shakespeare festivals means you kind of go, you watch, and then you leave. Mm-hmm. That's not. That's not a festival. <laughs> That's just watching a show. Like a festival should should be a festival. There should be things there to do. You know, there should be a, a sonnet reading like we have, or there should be apple cider, or there should be a harpist, or there should be things to interact with. Like you know, respecting audiences. I think for me is what this festival is about. You know, not to you know, I feel like the theater gives off the impression that your job as an audience is to come in your fancy clothes. Yeah, sit down in our dark theater and watch us do amazing things. And they think doing the play is enough. Doing the play is not enough. <laughs> you have to interact with the community. And this is the best way to do it, I think. Thoreau College is a leader in an emergent movement dedicated to the renewal and revitalization of higher education through the creation of new humanly scaled institutions with holistic curricula known as micro colleges. Thoreau College, higher education for the whole human being. And, and why Shakespeare, right? Uh, 
we, we had uh, a, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Professor David W. Orr, who's an mm. eminent professor about, uh, who's interested in ecology, the environment, mm -hmm. higher education. Um, but somehow or another, in that conversation, Shakespeare came up. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, he, he includes very much these, this classic literature, and, mm -hmm. and maybe especially Shakespeare, in, in the type of education he's describing, which is oriented kind of ecologically. And he, you know, we asked him, what, what does Shakespeare have to do with this? And he said, everything, everything has to do with it. So for mm -hmm. you, like, why is it important that, that that this, yeah, that Shakespeare, what does Shakespeare bring to modern audiences? Uh, <laughs> how long do we have? <laughs> uh, you, you know, what confuses people is they go, oh, yeah, it's been 450 years, but no one's doing Greeks like that. And my response is, exactly. <laughs> That's the point. Someone's performed 450 years later constantly. We still want it. You see what I'm saying? However... There is a misconception in this country that all we do is Shakespeare. It's not true. Actually, only about 13% of all plays done in this country are classic. And of that, 40% are Shakespeare. We're not even tapped into that canon, mm -hmm. you know? But that stat is still telling. Shakespeare, I mean, look, he covers the human condition better than anyone. Uh, maybe August Wilson, you know, is up there too, but, but the... Forgiveness, empathy, um, jealousy, uh, pride. I mean, do we not feel these things? Mm -hmm. are, are these not? Are we not complex people? You know. I mean, and I understand the question because um, it's asked a lot these days. Why Shakespeare these days? Especially as you know, people try to shelve him. You know, call him dated or, or these things. But I, I encourage people to um, read the plays and uh, dissect them because. There's a lot of social context to when Shakespeare was writing. You know, take Henry VIII, for example. Well, when he wrote Henry VIII, Shakespeare knew Henry VIII was this awful man, but he was working for, like, his great-granddaughter. <laughs> like, you know, he was working for Elizabeth. So yeah, he's not going to write yeah. a truthful play about how, you know, the guy in her family line was this awful human. But people don't know that, so they go, oh, you know, how dare he put Henry VIII in a positive light? Yeah, he didn't want to be beheaded. So, you know, he kind of had to, you know, or you take something like The Merchant of Venice, which is hotly debated. Um, you know, my argument is there are no good people in that play, and that's the point. Mm -hmm. Our ingenue Portia, the one who talks about mercy, is a staunch racist. That's complexity. Yes, Shylock, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him. He lacks mercy. Everyone in that play is dirty, but that's not how we want to see things. We want good guys, and we want bad guys. Um, and then you throw on top of it being live to watch the griminess of humanity, you know. But that's what Shakespeare brings, and I can see the distaste for it. But I think if we run away from the complexities of, if we run away from the complexities of art, we're never going to understand it, and then it'll die eventually. So another thing that you say on your website is, you know, uh, to us, theater should be a, a place that prioritizes truth over comfort. <laughs> what do you mean by that? The, uh, the theater should provide no obligation to be your safe space as an audience member. You know, it's... A movie will give you, you know, this is rated R for the following things. Are people going on IMDb and getting spoiler alerts before you watch a movie? I don't think so. You know, you go and see the movie, so why is it in the theater? Why does the theater need to be our safe space? But movies, they can take all the chances in the world. TV can make all the risks, but... 
the theater has to be safe. And, and for us, it's like, no, we're going to tackle hard issues. We're going to do plays you're not a fan of. And we're not going to do it just to incense you, just to be contrarian, but because there is a point of view, there is a perspective you have not taken in. And, you know, it's hard to do these days. Like, I'll be very frank, like, it's honestly scary. Cancel culture has made doing the theater scary in many ways because you never know who's going to, you know, be upset about the way you cast or be upset about the show you're doing. However, that's the reason to do it isn't it you mm -hmm. can't you i don't think we can run away from the complexities of the theater i just don't i think the alternative is you know adaptations of popular movies into musicals you know what i mean so you ask why shakespeare it's because it reveals the very things that scare us you know he reveals the things that make us insecure he reveals things in us you know when you you see portia you identify with her she seems really really sweet at first and then you know, the only black character in the play comes in and she writes him off and says, let him take all his complexion with him. Mm. And then four acts from then, you're going to tell Shylock to be merciful? And then Shylock begs for mercy earlier, and then later he's not going to be merciful? I think we see ourselves most in Shakespeare, and that scares us. You know what I mean? I think we don't want it to be as pretty. I don't think, I think we want it to be more pretty than it is, but, you know, even when it comes to high schools, and I'm a high school theater fan, English teachers um, often neglect the complexities of Shakespeare, too. You know, they, they study R and Romeo and Juliet and Midsummer, not realizing the depth that comes with, you know, there are, Romeo and Juliet opens with a long rape joke. Right. They don't cover that. I, they didn't tell me that in middle school. You know, a Midsummer Night's Dream, the lovers at the end have all just consummated their love for each other. They didn't teach me that in eighth grade. Yeah. And that's the part I think we're running away from. Yeah, and my experience, I've been a high school teacher. I've taught mm -hmm. Romeo and Juliet. Um, I mean, Shakespeare, you definitely connect with mm -hmm. ninth graders, 10th graders when mm -hmm. you point out the dirty jokes. Yes, <laughs> yes. That, then you got them. Then you got them. <laughs> but, but also performance, right? Either yes. seeing a good performance or, or doing even some scenes like that mm -hmm. you know, takes yes. it from, from being kind of very difficult to understand language on a page to mm -hmm. something that's alive. And, and then and then people can run with it. Um, I completely agree. And I, I love, you know, my I went into college. I wanted to be a high school theater teacher. I forgot to mention that. Uh -huh. Because I'm still best friends with mine. He's my mentor. He <laughs> changed my life. Jeff Cook, huge shout out to you. Um, so that was what I was going to do. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, the public school system these days is not, not exactly uh, a holiday, uh, the way they treat teachers. So that kind of changed my mind, unfortunately. But high school theater teachers are underrated like they provide they're the basis for the cog like they take you know these insecure 14 year olds and they send them out into the world with confidence to audition and you know just you know side tangent but you know, you know shout out to the high school theater teachers out there it's a hard job Absolutely. you're there from 7 a.m to 6 p.m rehearse yeah. every day rehearsing yes i mean teachers high school teachers elementary school teachers in mm -hmm. general are know that they you know they're 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 in far beyond the actual hours on the job. Mm, yes. But the theater directors, the theater teachers are even more so. And those those performance weeks yeah. and that, and that yeah, that's absolutely true. Doesn't yeah. include the field trips, you know, yeah. to see shows. And we did the Florida State Thespian Festival. So, you know, he has to go to Tampa. And then he has, like, it's a, it's a hard job. And, um, you know, they're underpaid, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely.
terribly. I, you know, as, as a teacher, I would say, you know, I've, I've often reflected that among the most important things in my preparation to be a teacher, mm -hmm. and, you know, I didn't, I was never a director exactly, but literature teacher, science teacher, mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> was, was my own theater experiences in high school and college, mm -hmm. right? That, that was, you know, the improv and just stage presence and <laughs> projecting mm -hmm. your voice and mm -hmm. all the things that you learn as, as even a, a beginning kind of actor were essential. And so I recommend that always to people are thinking about being a teacher do some do some theater. do some theater yeah it also teaches you how to like kind of get out of your own way doesn't it how to trust you know yeah. teachers have to trust their students and yep. that can that they, can they be hard to get up there and forget their lines or whatever yeah yep. and theater teaches you to <laughs> trust doesn't it because yep. you, you have you don't have a choice you gotta hope they get their line out you <laughs> hope it's the right line <laughs> you know so I, I can definitely see how theater is a great preparer for that yes so what um do you have a favorite Shakespeare play or a favorite character? Oh yeah, Richard III is my favorite play ever. And uh, I read it when I was 12. I don't know why. He, <laughs> I don't know why the three and a half hour history play was what they had middle schoolers <laughs> doing at this summer camp. Yeah. But, um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I understood none of that play at the time. It immediately became my favorite play because for some reason, I don't know why, I'm 12 years old, I'm reading the play and I'm like, Richard III is just the school bully. <laughs> like, he comes out deformed. His mother hates him before he even is able to talk. He says it. Doesn't have a father. And his entire life, he's been neglected by his mom. You know? Even at the end, he is. And, and I'm like, that sounds like a school bully to me. Someone who probably has a bad home life. Bad life. So I, I related to Richard. And I was like, I'm not supposed to. <laughs> but I do. And I... I attributed that to Shakespeare, so it, it's been my favorite play forever. Isn't that interesting? I think there is, you know, there has been a, I don't know, it seems like a fad for like uh, films and so forth that that focus on the villains mm -hmm. and like, you know, I, I've mm -hmm. got young kids and these, you know, like, oh, the villains are being brought back as the heroes in various stories. Mm. Um, but I think Shakespeare was doing that long ago, right? There, definitely to oh, identify yeah. with these these villains was something that he he was able to, to yes. make you do. And that's the scary part, <laughs> because Richard's also hilarious. He's such a funny character. And it stinks because he does such awful things, you know? But that's scary because, like, man, if I'm, you know, if I were that charming and was, if my life was like that, would I also? Because he feels like he has to usurp the throne because he's never gotten anything. <laughs> His parents didn't show him any love because he came out to form before he even spoke a word, you know? It doesn't excuse his behavior, but if you're telling me you can't empathize or you can't see that perspective, I encourage you to go to the theater. Yeah, you know, and it does seem like that's that's a quality we we desperately need more in our society. It does, a lot of people have different ideas of who the villain is mm -hmm. in our culture. Um, mm -hmm. So it would sometimes it'd be you know what's interesting about that? They're not. They're often not terribly well traveled. You know, like you, you the media is going to show you, you know, so and so from this state or so and so from this is how they're acting. But until you've been there to a town with opposite ideas of yours, that's why I loved growing up in Orlando. It was a true melting pot of politics. You know, we're right in the center of Florida. So above us are a lot of the red, you know, as you get closer to Georgia, and below us is a lot of the blue. And growing up in that environment, that was awesome for me because I sat next to people I didn't agree with, you know, and I was there during Trump's era. We were able to be friends, you know, like you, if you talk to a human being, you know, and you don't just stick in your bubble where you're affirming yourself, which is also not research, that's affirming yourself, um, you'll discover people are not as simple as 
oh, how could you think that? Or, oh, how could, no, it's complex. Go to where the other half lives. And that's where the statement on the website comes from. Because I feel like the theater is, the theater is exclusionary, you know, and no one's going to talk about it, but the theater is very exclusionary. They don't want older people there anymore. They definitely don't want, you know, non, you know, liberal or Democrats there. And my argument is, how do you expect them to broaden the horizons you wish them to broaden if you don't welcome them to the place that, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It makes zero, that's the point of, of the Jones Classical Company, is like everyone from all politics walks of life, come see the show. You're welcome here. Your ideas are welcome here. Not that I have to agree, but the fact that you feel welcome makes a difference. And that's the irony of this whole thing, is that the theater has become a place where you know, people are preaching to the choir. And I know sometimes the choir needs to be reminded why it sings. <laughs> but we've been reminded for about 30 years now. And I think it's time to stop telling people you disagree with that they're not welcome and be mad that they don't, you know, take on a perspective you wish they would because you're not introducing them to that perspective. You understand? Mm -hmm. It's a backwards model. It's a backwards model. And it comes from fear. It comes from years of, look, the theater ain't perfect. But my goodness, this this thing of, you know, fire all your board members, you know, start anew. You're kidding me, right? Just the impractical things that people are willing to ask of organizations uh, in order to feel comforted. Um, it's impractical and it's it's unfair. It's unfair to the people who want to see theater and it's unfair, frank, frankly, to states like Indiana, to like, you know, all the red states who quote unquote lack theater, lack theater, for a reason, because no one's interested. You, see, you have to be interested in people. You have to be interested in community to do this. You really, really do. You can't just think, you know, I'm going to go to Chicago, I'm going to go to New York, and uh, I'm going to change the world. No, you're not. You're just going to reinforce the popular ideas of New York and Chicago and L.A. and, you know. No, going someplace where discussion can happen, and that's why I love this town. Because we're in a world that's trying to push Shakespeare away, and this town's like, bring it on. We <laughs> want the complexity. That is attractive. That is attractive. And there are more places like that, but, you know, you can't say that sort of thing these days, mm -hmm. you know, or else people, um, people will take it the wrong way. But I, I firmly believe that if the theater can become a, melting, a political melting pot, the world would be a better place. Because you talk to each other, you know what I mean? I don't know what your political party is, but I see you at intermission, and I'm like... Good show, eh? Yeah, what do you think of it, you know? Put your phone away. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a good starting place, right? <laughs> Talk to people. Don't assume. You know what I mean? And I also, and I'll close it here, uh, it's kind of hypocritical to be a theater artist and lack empathy. <laughs> it's hypocritical to be a theater artist and be unforgiving, you know? It's, uh, you know, how can you teach King Lear and not be a forgiving person? That entire story is redemption, you know? How, how can you teach the Tempest and not believe in forgiveness? I mean, how do, you go into, how do you go into prisons and teach inmates Shakespeare and then perpetuate a culture that puts people there? That doesn't make any sense to me. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Mm -hmm. Dissect the plays for what they are, you know, not for what you want them to be. And that's the other thing, too. Like, in this As You Like It... There are certainly some dated things I didn't cut because people are complicated. Mm -hmm. No one's perfect, you know. Spoiler alert, Rosalind uses the term Ethiope. 
you know, which is at that time was a negative connotation. I didn't cut it. What? what are you going to hate Rosalind because of one line? And what does that say about you that you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you keep the complexities in there. Audiences have to remember plays are for you to reflect on yourself. You know, you're supposed to see a play, watch it, enjoy it, but then talk about how, how you relate to it in some way. And I don't know if it's whether or not people are insecure that they have those biases too. You can still be a good person. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, no one's, no one's perfect. But that's why I think people are trying to cancel Shakespeare because, you know, it's dated, but deal with it. People are imperfect. And a lot of these ideals, people still have. You know what I mean? But you can't run away from it. And you certainly, you certainly can't cancel people who don't think the same as you in that respect, you know? How are you going to cancel someone for, for producing The Merchant of Venice? Because you feel differently. Not because there's factual evidence that it has a negative... You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a theory. It's all theory. But I started this company to combat that, very, very frankly. I started this company to combat that culture, go to towns, meet the people, talk to them. What are their politics? Why is that? Genuine curiosity is gone, isn't it? You know, I, I feel like when someone asks me a question, kind of like a trap sometimes these days, you feel, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, are you asking me this because you really want to know? You want to talk? Or are you asking me this because, <laughs> because you're going to catch me? Right. You know what I mean? Micro College is recorded in the broadcast studios of WDRT Viroqua, 91.9 FM, Driftless Community Radio, on Main Street in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Thanks to Jim and all the folks at WDRT for the support of Thoreau College and the Micro College Podcast. Yeah, so talk more about, about your vision for, for the Jones Classical Theater Company. I mean, you're, you're bringing this play here to Viroqua. I guess mm-hmm. my sense is a part of your vision is to do this in other small towns in the Midwest. Yes, yes. I want to stick with the Midwest because the potential here is insane. There's, first of all, the, the, the biggest commodity lacked in the theater is space. Midwest has a ton of it, ton of space. It's outdoors, but that's good. That's good. You can seat more people. People can have a picnic. You can do festivals. So, yes, I'm certainly, you know, we, we're doing the Minnesota Shakespeare Festival next summer, um, and that will take place in Minneapolis, so not a small town, but I had to use the connections I had just to get it off the ground. But certainly, like, I would love to take this to... I, Gary, Indiana is a place that comes to mind mm-hmm. as a place I think could really benefit from something like this um you know there are there are small illinois you know like i don't want people to feel like they can only go to chicago or normal where the illinois shakespeare festival is you know like yeah small towns in the midwest man you know give them theater i think one of the things that you're you're tapping into is there is actually a deep tradition of this i think if you if you go back Mm -hmm. 100 years let's say before movies and tv a lot of people often trace these together the towns like Viroqua and in much smaller towns than this we're here in the county seat there Mm -hmm. but there were towns of 100 people you know sprinkled all over the midwest Mm -hmm. that had their own bands their own orchestras their own theaters schools there was a really rich um thriving rural culture across across the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it was ethnic. There were people in speaking German or Polish or Norwegian. Or, mm. and, uh, but there was also a lot of, I, I think a lot of Shakespeare performed actually mm-hmm. in, in, in these places. So there, there's a way that this is a revival of something that's very old. Yes. And well, that's how Summerstock began. Summerstock started in like farms, you know, like... Summer- Say more about Summerstock. 
Yeah, so summer stock is uh, is really low budget theater done in, during the summer where uh, a company will use the same costumes, the same set um, for multiple shows, probably for the season to save money, and the actors perform in more than one show at once, and oftentimes, not much anymore, but it was very common. They would also build the set, and they'd strike. A lot of them still haven't striked the set, so it was very all hands on deck. But, you know, they started because people didn't want to go into the cities, you know, to have to get their entertainment. And so they were like, well, we have all this land and we have all this space. We might as you know, so like it's always been a thing. I just feel like I feel like that's something film and TV has done to the theater is it's created uh, it's created a culture of actors who don't want to do it, the theater anymore. You see what I mean? Everyone wants to do film and TV. So then I feel like it became very commercial when that really started to take off. You know, then it was like, well, yeah, I can go to L.A. and audition for film. And there's some theater there. You know what I mean? Or I can go to New York. They're filming there and there's, you know, theater there. You know what I mean? And of mm -hmm. course, Broadway is the layman's idea of what theater is. Mm -hmm. You know, musical theater, it became very, very dominant. It's the only, you know, real American invention in the theater, which is also why we love it, because we invented it. Um, but I feel like we should get back to that. You know, I feel like the theater is at a point right now, it's at a crossroads. Nobody really knows how to move forward yet. You know, we're all kind of still feeling it out, coming back from COVID. This is only the second season where people are doing full seasons mm -hmm. again. So I'm hoping that there's a resurgence in smaller town theaters popping up you know and, and a greater respect for community theaters mm -hmm. i mean some of the oldest theaters in this country are community theaters still you know they haven't become professional i love that yeah we need that you know yeah so uh, here here in the rural midwest you know many people's experience of theater is strictly high school mm -hmm. or if they're lucky a community theater group so here in mm -hmm. Baroque, there's been a very active community theater scene as well as a mm -hmm. lot of school theater going on but mm -hmm. you know a, a professional theater or you know people who, who are doing you know something that they're they're traveling from place to place like mm -hmm. that's that's pretty pretty special or unusual yeah i mean touring is expensive so people don't do it a lot but you can make it happen my, my mom always told me people make time for what they want to mm -hmm. you know that's just how it works if you really want to do it you'll find a way you know we find ways to be on tiktok for several hours <laughs> don't we i mean you like we find ways yeah. to do things you know, and I, I wish um, I wish for the future of the theater to be what's happening, what's happening here. You know, people going to these towns that have a desire for it, too. That's the other thing is that these towns want it. People want things to do. You know, people want entertainment and, and it means something to them, too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's really important if the focus is audiences. But I don't think the focus has been on audiences for a long time. I think the focus has really been on the artist, which sounds like it should be, but no, it shouldn't be. Artists are servants. We are public servants. We truly are. My job is to go up there and cry for two hours so that you can reflect on yourself. That's the public servitude. So if it's about audiences, then what is you know what are we even talking about? If you have a group of people who go give it to them, you know you have the sources, but it's not about audiences. It's about Broadway, Hollywood. You know. That's a fascinating perspective. I think that that's, that's you know, um, when I'm working with young people, whether it's high school students or, or college students, mm -hmm. right, finding your, your vocation, your calling, mm -hmm. your whatever it is you, you're going to do in your life, mm -hmm. your mission, um, 
and orientation towards service is is such a touchdown for that, right? That's mm -hmm. in, the, in the long term, that's a meaningful kind of a, a life. And if you're an artist, right, it's often not framed in that way, right? It is like I've got something to share with the world. I've mm -hmm. got a, I've got a big thing to do. I want, sure. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to, you know, mm -hmm. I've got work. Just I've got this creative thing. I'm going right. to be recognized for. But to, to frame it in that way as this is this is the the, the artist is, is the servant of the audience is a is a fascinating way to frame it. I think so because even if you're sharing something, you have to ask yourself why. Why do I have to share this? Just to express yourself? I find that to be quite rare amongst artists, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially younger artists these days, I find are making to uh, not have people feel alone, you know. I think that idea is coming to fruition with all the mm -hmm. social justice stuff, but even without that, we can still be public servants, can't we? Even mm -hmm. if we're just doing the frivolous comedy. Escapism is legit. People have hard lives, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like even if you're just doing improv, if you're a stand-up comedian, um, which, by the way, the greatest stand-up comedian, I think, is a philosopher at heart. Um, you know, even if you're a, a painter or a musician, you're, I think you're a servant because people have to come and take from you. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They're taking that from you. There's a long arc of history there. If you go, if you go back to, you know, the, the Greek actors mm -hmm. or, the, you know, the, the people who... Uh, who built the cathedrals or mm. the pyramids or like mm -hmm. all of the kind of really ancient great works of, of, of culture and art, they were in general anonymous, right? Yes. They were, they were working in service of some really higher vision. And with, and with very, and in theater in particular, sorry to cut you off, it's just interesting to note, um, Shakespeare had no, you know, the Greeks, they had no intention of this being done 500 years from then. They, they, they didn't, like Shakespeare, they didn't even really print the plays. You know, much right. less consider, you know, someone in 2020 is going to be doing this. They didn't, it was in the moment for audiences, you know, for people, which is probably why it's endured for 450 years, because the focus was on audiences. And in Shakespeare, you see it in the repetition. People go, why does he repeat so much? Well, audiences at the time were rowdy. <laughs> they would leave and come back. They would pee in the corner. They would talk. They'd throw stuff at you. They'd be drunk. So they'd like, look at their phones. They, they'd, look at, <laughs> they'd look at the orange before they wiped themselves with it as deodorant because they didn't shower. And so Shakespeare's repeat stuff for that. And that, it's about audiences. It has to be. It has to be. They, they're our paycheck, you know? Like, without audiences, what are we doing? We're performing for each other. That's pretentious. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. So I think I'm gonna ask you to speculate a little bit. Maybe, um, maybe you've, you maybe you've already have an answer to this. But so we here micro college, we're mm -hmm. focused on education for young young adults, mm -hmm. focused on education for you know for for people during the college years at this very small um, level. Um, a lot of the our programs and that we do and, and other programs that we speak to are are very practically oriented. They do farming and gardening. Mm -hmm. They do wilderness experiences. They do small class like discussion academic work. They do you know, arts and self-governance work. Mm -hmm. um, if you can think about a holistic education like this, an education for the whole human being, mm -hmm. what, why is theater an important part of that? And how could we best incorporate that into hmm. the kind of very diverse programs that we're doing with small groups of people? Well, you know, theater in many ways, there's, there, I think there's the studying of theater and then there's the doing of theater. And you can pull different things from each, you know, like... If you were talking about studying theater, the classics are great because they're poetry and they're meant to be profound. And that sort of profundity um, lives strongest, I believe, in environments like this, you know, where there's a lot of rural area where you can breathe and take in air and, and sight and sound and listen to the words. 
you know, I think that brings about a sense of patience. I think it brings about a sense of deep and critical thinking, which is essential. I mean, that's why we need theater for critical thinking. The doing of theater, that teaches ensemble, that teaches selflessness, that teaches sustainability, particularly for talking about outdoor theater. You know, outdoor theater is convenient, but that doesn't mean it's easy. You know, there's a certain way to take care of yourself vocally. There's a, a certain way, you know, you can't just build a stage on an area and you have to be resourceful yes. and, uh, and creative in you solving be, practical problems. Oh my goodness, <laughs> cars whizzing by or the wind or bugs or you know any of these things. So it, it teaches a sense of resilience, I believe as well. But mostly what you get is community. Yeah. Theater is about community, audiences. But you know that's why actors befriend a lot of actors. That's why casts become close. You know, in, in theater too, acting is the exchange of emotions, isn't it? Yeah. And um, even if you're pretending, it can feel real. And so you feel close to one another. And that's why I encourage people to do that. It's a way of connecting without having to really give up yourself. You can do it through a character. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's ways to, to lay it Try on another, another self there yes. for a while. Yes, that's so important, I mm-hmm. think. You have to walk through someone you're else's shoes. You're talking about empathy, right? Like that's, one, that's really one way to do it is, is to actually... Walk yes. someone else's shoes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. That's how you understand the best, what one is going through, you know, is to see it through their eyes. Yeah, it's something that, that I've, you know, told my own kids and my students and I really believe is that, that really everyone should seek out an opportunity, should 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 actually be on stage should, at some mm-hmm. point, you know, not yes. just the theater kids. Right, <laughs> right. Get on stage or get backstage. You know. Yeah, that too, right? The people who are up front should also be on backstage. Yes, and they should you should get more credit, shouldn't they? Yeah. Because, you know, they they help the show run, and they're not seen, but man, they are essential. And that also teaches a sense of humility. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not in the spotlight. Don't want to be. Don't need to be. We got the job done. Mm-hmm. There's something about being a part of something greater than yourself. That's what I think yep. art offers. This is bigger than me. You know, yeah. that's why it's servitude, I think. And, and often something that you didn't maybe quite believe was possible. Yes. At, or at least like the, you know, two or three days before opening night, usually. Yes. Or like, <laughs> or like you know, you have 24 hours over six days to put up a this full This is never going to be, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> yep. All the insecurity comes. But it, you have to keep your confidence. Mm-hmm. That's what theater taught me. You have, fake it till you make it. Especially if you're like a leader of the group, you know, if you're, if you show concern, You've lost them. You know, you know that as a teacher. Yep. Like if you show any sort of slippage, any sort of, you know, and then the ricochet effect is after that, that trust is lost. And maybe we bit. should postpone opening night. We're not quite ready. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh my goodness. It might rain. Yeah. So <laughs> outdoor theater. No, that's I mean it's important to for me to remember that theater comes out of, you know, out of religion, out of Cultic kind of festivals, you know, whether it's the the Greek, the Greek mysteries or the or the medieval mm-hmm. passion plays, or mm-hmm. you know, really theater all over the world. The No Theater um, mm-hmm. we've done here a few times. Um, mm-hmm. Like these are these are these are rites of initiation. Yes. Right? And and in practice, for me, that is often in that moment of, oh crap, we are not ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is never going to happen. And then they go on stage, and it happens. It happens. And the students. Anyone going through that experience comes out differently, in my experience, from yes. that. They, they is a, it's an initiation in the, in the highest sense. Because you're forced to trust. You just have to trust. 
That's all you can do. And you're in public, and the mm-hmm. lights are there, and yeah, it's, it's it's powerful. Yep, and the the failure is huge, but embrace the failure. That's the only way you're gonna succumb. You're gonna overcome it, is if you embrace it. You run away. You know, you can't be you can't be ready to enter and thinking, am I gonna forget my line? If you do, adjust. You know, or trust someone else is gonna come and pick you. I think I think that's a really good point you made there. You know about that that sense of risk and failure that's kind of why it's exhilarating and terrifying you know and crazy people are the only ones who want to do it for years <laughs> for, <laughs> for decades at a time you know that sort of constant stress well i mean the, the another parts of our our curriculum in the college here and at the you know the youth initiative high school where i also teach things like uh, wilderness expeditions right mm-hmm. we're going to go camping in wisconsin in mm-hmm. january for a week <laughs> yes right i heard about that <laughs> or you know i'm going to go for 48 hours alone right in a tarp in in december wow right um those those are experiences also that people look at and say gosh i'm not going to be able to do that like mm-hmm. that's and 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 once once people have experience and, and are able to do it and come out there it is also an initiation people are, yes. are transformed in a very similar way they discover something about themselves yeah they're yeah the capacities that, mm-hmm. that they're not aware of are much more manifest and how do you how do you find you know being a leader or teacher it's hard to know when to push someone when it's like this is the right time for this challenge you know how do you how do you determine that is it just over the years you just kind of can tell student to student for me it's, it's why the micro college idea is important the mm-hmm. small scale Right, I, I, I don't. I really don't understand how teachers who have eight sections of English <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. are able to do what they do. Um, right. I think because um, so much of it is based on observation of, of a student's mm-hmm. evolution over yes. time, over months, over years. Yes. You know, at, the, at the high school level, I've had the opportunity to work with people over four years and definitely have seen them be able to do things in their junior or senior year that they never would have been able to. No one mm-hmm. would imagine them being able to do in their ninth grade year. And so that's that's something to work towards. And having seen it a bunch of times, yep. having seen transformation as being possible, also gives me as and a, as a as a leader, as a teacher, confidence of pushing that little bit mm-hmm. extra. Getting to know them, yeah, yeah, and and also developing the trust that they will say, okay, I don't think I can do this, but right, you asked me to do it, so I'll do it. And and then you know that that's another like that's a big kind of step forward. Yeah, yeah, that's that's important. Students have to feel comfortable. Um, I think expressing their anxieties and then I think instructors have to be comfortable encouraging them to uh, not care <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like I, I see that in higher at least in in the actor training world in higher education it's like if students make a ruckus faculty they'll they'll kowtow very very quickly mm-hmm. and I'm of the opinion you know you have four professors who have been doing it for 30 years. That's about 120 years of experience. I'm 20 years old. I should shut up. Mm-hmm. You know, I should, I should be quiet. Or I should trust that they're able to see something in me I can't see. Otherwise, why did I come to train? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that ability that you have to see that in your students and give them the comfort to express that is invaluable. And that's, that's why I think microcolleges should be more of a thing. So that people who need that sort of attention can receive it because you're not going to get it at a big 10 school you're just not not in your english class of course not you know like half the time it's not even the teacher right it's the ta depending on the size of the class (laughs) isn't it you know what i mean (laughs) so it's like how how much more impersonal can you be you know what i mean the other thing about a micro scale institution right this this kind of schools of Mm -hmm. you know 
10 to, to 25 kind of students mm-hmm. is that to put on Hamlet or to put mm-hmm. on certainly any musical, right, <laughs> right um, and to do many work projects and, mm-hmm. and many other things requires everybody, yes. right? Um, here in a small town, often we've also had the experience of sports, right? My, my mm-hmm. kids are hockey players and yes. here in a small town, you know, you start looking around like, can you, can you skate? Do you have skates? <laughs> hey, join the team. <laughs> and right. the same thing with theater. One of my treasured theater experiences was, um, you know, in in my college experience at, at Deep Springs. You mm-hmm. know, really a micro college for about twenty five students. Um, we we staged with with a professor there, uh, Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. on the campus. And at that level, definitely a majority of the students had to be in the performance. And so. Right. Someone would be acting off scene, and they'd be the audience, and then they'd switch places, yep. right? And then we move to another place. And, and in that context, and I've certainly seen it in, in high school to here, um, we we tried to have play performances that had everybody involved. Yes. Ideally, everyone on stage, including on stage at the same time, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that 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 creates a different theater experience. It's not just the the people who are interested in it, who are especially talented, who are, mm-hmm. but 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 everyone has that that experience, and that yep. that does it becomes a, a community forming, you know, bonding, kind of community building experience. Jacob, I wonder um, if you could talk a little bit about Percy Mackay. This uh, is in that same vein, right? Except he did it on a, on a very grand scale, right? Um, Liam, I, I think you've been reading more about Percy Mackay than, than I have recently. Do you want to Well, you I mostly just Mackay? read about it on Wikipedia, but, <laughs> but he did St. Louis, a civic mask. I think I was telling you about this, yes. Where, yes. where there were hundreds of people, and it basically told the story. Well, this was 100 years ago, so it was... I guess St. Louis had only been around for 150 years, but um, but uh, basically employed the city of St. Louis in telling the story of the city of St. Louis. Began with Cahokia, the Native Americans, up until you know he did that in 1904, 1905. But it's like you said, um, you have the students, and let's get every single student on stage, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you know, or everyone in the city of St. Louis. That's or, right, the or other everyone end of it. in the city. <laughs> I love that. I wish cities would do that more but it's too hard to do mega projects like that but getting everyone involved you have to that's how you make a safe space you know everyone's involved everyone's involved um everyone don't need to agree you know (laughs) i i think the idea of everyone like agreeing to make a safe space doesn't you know what i mean yes camaraderie um but how do we do that camaraderie and i love what you said about all hands on deck that was my high school training I didn't just act. I had to build. I had to be crew boss sometimes. You did costuming. You directed. You helped with light. You helped with sound. You helped with concessions. You learned how to do all aspects of the theater. Advertising, business planning, all those things mm-hmm. that you know about now. <laughs> Marketing, running a board. We had a little board of directors, too. The casting to process, theater. all these uh, things. Casting, managing egos. Yeah. You know, managing personalities is a huge reason why we should do theater. If we still seek to connect with each other in person... I think if we actually want to connect with each other in person, we'll keep doing theater. I think if we don't, we'll see less people going to the theater, you know. The thing Maybe. is, though, when, when every, if or when everything else falls away, the only thing we will have left is theater. You know, I don't, I don't know oh, if you yeah. can call it, you know, when you say theater now, you really think of, you think of a building and a stage and um, mm-hmm. a whole marketing campaign and a, yep. and a branded content. But so I don't know if you could, would even call this theater but is text it's language mm-hmm. when you don't have phones when you don't have storytelling you know it's just that's all you'll have so 
I feel like the theater never, can never die. Maybe the theater as we know it here now in the 21st century mm-hmm. may die, but storytelling. No, I, I, don't, I don't think theater will die because I think secretly we all want to be in person with each other. We just don't know how. <laughs> and ironically, theater is the place to teach you how. So it's a loop, isn't it? Well, I think that that is a great ending place, a loop. <laughs> thank you, Willie, uh, Willie Jones. Thank you for, for coming to Veroqua, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. This was great. This was a lot of fun. Thanks.